0: The rock music festival that drew hundreds of thousands of young people to a dairy farm in
1: White Lake, New York, over the weekend, came to an end today. And we have a report from Richard O'Brien.
2: They listened for three days. Today, they sounded the, the
3: Woodstock Festival took place in upstate New York on August 15th through 18th, 1969. It's still regarded as a milestone in the history of popular music and counterculture.
4: There were 450,000 young people here, an instant big city, really. It's true, one may not ask for the names of the tailors of these Even
2: though the kids. importance and legacy and of the festival sure still stands unchallenged, today, almost 50 years later, festivals have once again been gaining popularity. And uh-huh. if you
5: haven't heard of it, Coachella is the world's highest, we could almost leave it there, just highest, highest. grossing uh-huh. music festival. <laughs> <laughs> Weekend passes started $400 and they sold out in just two
4: hours. It takes place every year in the Palm Springs area. Um, and apparently, I'm not hip enough to cover you? this assignment, so they say. Um, so we found the coolest person.
3: Whether you're talking about Coachella, Ultra, Bonnaroo, or one of the many others out there, it's clear that festivals have come a long way. They've evolved into much more than a gathering to listen to music. People
2: expect curated food and retail experiences in addition to the music. The recent disaster at the Fire Festival showed devastated expectations.
1: The expectation, luxurious accommodations. The reality? more like a disaster relief campsite. And the gourmet meals provided by celebrity caterer Steven Starr exchanged for these plain cheese sandwiches and salad after the chef backed out. They
5: locked us in the airport, like with a, a chain. No food. water, no Someone food.
1: I spoke
3: to these kids
5: after
1: they finally landed.
3: That was clearly a fail. But when done right, attendees flocked to festivals. And they're not the only ones. Companies from all different kinds of industries have caught festival fever. rep and I'm Jenny Kaplan today on material world we're getting the scoop on what's happening in the land of festivals and why companies are increasingly eager to cash in
2: let's start with the basics Woodstock set the tone half a century ago. How have music festivals evolved since then?
1: Over the past 10 or 15 years, music festivals have grown to become an increasingly important and almost dominant part of the live music business.
2: That's Lucas Shaw, our colleague on the entertainment team here at Bloomberg, who covers the companies that put on these shows.
1: You can think back and there's some very famous festivals, you know, Woodstock in the late 60s, Newport Folk Festival, different jazz festivals. But the festivals didn't become a big part of the music economy until... Lollapalooza started things kind of in the early 90s. Uh, Then you had Coachella appear in the the late 90s, which is now the highest grossing festival in the world. And it's spread from there, you know, you now have hundreds of music festivals across the United States, lots of festivals uh, around the world. And the biggest concert promoters have started to buy up a lot of the festivals uh, to make them a key part of their business. Uh, and, and festivals appeal to concert promoters and to, to musicians for a, a number of different reasons. If you're a musician, you like it because you get paid more, especially if you're a top act from performing at Coachella or Lollapalooza or Bonnaroo, then you are from 50 arena shows or uh, from a few arena shows at least. And if, you, if you're a promoter, um, again, you know, the, the grosses are higher and there's a, a great opportunity for advertising and to kind of spread out costs um, across multiple festivals that you own.
3: As festivals have become a bigger part of our cultural landscape, they've become a very lucrative business.
1: Coachella, which is the highest-grossing festival in the world, I think took in around 80 or $90 million last year.
3: Millennials are more interested in spending money on experiences rather than things like clothes. That makes festivals particularly appealing.
1: It's, it's happening across the, the media business where because f- people, especially young people, are spending so much time looking at their phones as two of the three of us are right now, that there's a, a thought that if you spend so much time in a virtual world, that you're also going to want to spend time with people in a collective place. You know, it's, It contributed, I think, to the, the rise of, of rave culture over the past few years with dance music. You've seen it with the proliferation of festivals um, and, and why there are more and more of them and even and there's sort of a symbiosis between the two actually where at a lot of these festivals they'll pick art or architecture architecture that is designed for you to take an Instagram in front of so that you will everybody will gather in front of the same place to take the same photo to post it up there and that is the way of communicating to people that you were there and that you're cool and uh, that you were with friends.
2: Companies are eager to capture that magic traditional forms of advertising don't work as well anymore. These events provide an opportunity to reach a coveted demographic in a new way.
1: Well, for the advertisers, the festival goer tends to be young, fairly affluent. So it's the kind of person that any, any advertiser wants to get in front of because they have some disposable income. They're probably, they probably care about what's cool, what's not. And uh, they tend to associate a given festival with being hip or cool. So if you're at Coachella, if you're at uh, Lollapalooza, and you see a particular brand there, you're going to have a more positive association with them. And on top of that, you're also in an atmosphere where you're going to be you're going to be spending money. You're there to. Buy foods, buy drinks, buy uh, you know, buy clothing. The belt that I'm wearing, I bought at Lollapalooza in Chicago last year. Because I'm walking around for a few hours, I have time to kill, and I see some little store there, and I decide why not look around. And if there's something I really like, I'm going to buy it.
3: All those extras like food and retail have expanded significantly over the past few years.
1: At Coachella, where yes, there are two or three different of huge areas with eight, 10, 15 different local food brands, um, very high end. You know, you can, you can go and they've set up mini restaurants in the back of the Coachella VIP area, um, where you can, go, you'll go and spend $150 on dinner. That didn't exist a few years ago. You've just seen a, a, an explosion in the amount of money being spent on, Uh, On food and and all sorts of promotion at these festivals if you're the advertiser again you know you have a a stationary audience and you can really charge almost whatever you want because they don't have that many alternatives Uh, and if, if you're the person putting on the festival this is just another way to make money because the act of promoting is often a money losing exercise and so you look to merchandise and advertising to turn it into a profitable business
3: Because of that, more and different kinds of companies are getting in on the action.
5: I would say at the beginning of the advent of festivals, we only had three festivals. Uh, we go back about five years ago. Definitely, it was the who you would imagine the endemic uh, music sponsors where you know, Budweiser has always been very active in festivals. Um, Pepsi, Coke, you know, really the, the companies that really sponsor music in general. That's Maureen Ford,
2: president of national and festival sales at Live Nation in the sponsorship and media department.
5: And I'd say over the last three years since the festival platform has been much more developed, so we're really seeing a different type of brands coming into our festivals. Um, this year, uh, we've had a, a beauty brand come in, Soap and Glory. Uh, last year, believe it or not, we had AccuView, which was a fantastic sponsor, um, doing a program for their new contact lenses. Uh, we've worked with Secret Deodorant um, at one of our EDM festivals. So really, I'd say brands are really in, embracing festivals as kind of the number one place for um, fan engagement.
3: Live Nation owns festivals on five continents, including Lollapalooza, Electric Daisy Carnival, and Bonnaroo.
5: I think that you'd you'd go in and talk to a brand marketer, CMO about festivals a few years ago, hard chance that they'd even been to one. Maybe they had a younger person or or a child who's been to a festival. Um, I do believe now we have so many types of diverse festivals across the board. More people have exposure to them and they're really gatherings. I mean, they're social gatherings as much as they are about you know live music. Um, Each festival has a real personality and a brand to it. So it enables that brand to really kind of get deeper into the, the festival goer. Because I think when we talk to a brand from, an, from that perspective, we're we able to offer them music goers of different kinds, which we didn't have. I mean, there's, there's dance music festivals. There's festivals that cater more to a, um, um, a jam band festivals, There are festivals that are definitely more you know, older, a little older in demo and a little younger in demo. So I think our strategy about having as many of these kind of world-class festivals and be able to package them together, because there are many brands that, that want to hit millennials across the board. And I may always make a joke. It doesn't, they may have a cowboy hat on at one festival in a, in a cool dress at another festival but they're the same millennial who has the same kind of purchase intent towards some of these brand products and, and the good news is it's, it's led to double digit growth across you know for festival sponsorship and still is one of the um, top channels for brands to engage with their customers
2: Live Nation has used its thorough understanding of the market and consumer to help brands optimize festival involvement here's an example of how that panned out with Jaegermeister.
5: Jaegermeister had a problem For years, the brand lived in a forest of metal and mosh pits. They longed to see the world and find some new friends to enjoy Jägermeister's magical properties. Calculations by our music analysts determined that this herbal liquor had potential to unite a new generation of music lovers. EDM fans, with fierce music culture and inspired by Jägermeister's forest roots, we created a multi-sensory treehouse experience. Behold, House 56. Over the course of six festivals, 64,000 fans spent a collective of 3,000 hours total in House 56. When it was all over, we dug into the data and provided Jägermeister with deeper live music insights to help them continue elevating the fan experience for the future.
1: Well, if you think about it, at the music festival, there are always at least a couple of large alcohol sponsors because you've got a captive audience that is going to drink a lot. Uh, And so at, at most of them, it feels like it's for at least for beer, it's Heineken.
0: I've been at Heineken for it'll be 21 years in August, and we've been doing festivals as long as I've been here. We spoke with Patty Falch,
3: director of sponsorship and events at Heineken, about why they do what they do and how it's changed over time
0: when I first started in the business, your activation at a festival was hand, hanging a vinyl banner over the back of your bar. That's definitely changed.
2: These days, Heineken does much more than just hang banners.
0: One of the things we started doing a number of uh, years ago is um, what we call the Heineken House. And it really is our proprietary activation at within a festival. So We've done these at Coachella. We've done them at Ultra. We've done them at some other small festivals throughout the country. Outside Lands is another big one that we do it at. And what that activ- the activation is different at every single one. We want the experience to replicate the festival or the partnership that we're in. Um, our activation at Coachella, for instance, where we have artists performing, we have a full um, lineup. That is really another sort of area to engage and see music throughout the festival. Where at a festival like Ultra, we don't have any performances there, but that Heineken House is built into a stage. So there's a balcony where consumers can actually enjoy the performances that are already going on, but through this really cool environment of the Heineken House. Um, So we try and create something that's a little unique to each one but still really done in a Heineken way.
3: Like Maureen said earlier, festivals allow brands like Heineken to interact with consumers in different ways.
0: Most festivals are at at a minimum a day long, if not two to three days. And in some cases, like Coachella and Austin City Limits, these festivals could be over multiple weekends. So when consumers go to these festivals, they go for more of an experience Versus something like a soccer game or even a football game where they go, they attend the event, and then they sort of leave. These festivals allow us to really engage with them more as an experience versus an attendance.
3: Music festivals have grown to encompass much more than music. There's a huge emphasis placed on food, art, and retail. Here's Lucas again on that point.
1: There, there are more food festivals happening every weekend in, in Los Angeles or New York now than ever before. But I think more than anything, you'll see them collaborate together. You'll see a music festival bring in really high-end food. And you'll see food festivals bring in live music because there's no point. In, you might as well have them together. Um, look, people love sh- to, go, to kind of go for a shared experience. It's why people pay to go to festivals. It's why people pay to go to a movie theater. It's, you know, it's been happening time immemorial. It just permutates into slightly different forms uh, at, at any given moment. Right now, it's it's music festivals and food. And, you know, we have Comic-Con, and Beauty-Con. Lord knows there, there's no shortage of conventions for every different industry.
3: It's clear that all different industries are trying to capture the festival magic. We talked with Chris Stang, co-founder of The Infatuation, about his foray into food festivals. The Infatuation is a restaurant recommendation website and app. Prior to founding the site, Chris worked in the music industry. He combined his careers when The Infatuation mapped out the food at festivals like Governor's Ball.
4: We had just sort of noticed that people our age at the time were treating going out to dinner uh sort of like the main event for their nights out and certainly for their you know as a as a sort of main uh point of passion for their lives and you know we'd we'd be curating the food at governor's ball and you would have a bunch of kids that would come up that were just as excited about some of the restaurants that were on site as they were some of the bands on the bill and then you know you also just look and see you know that some of the sort of traditional food festivals you know they're really targeted to a much older demographic with a lot more money. And we just thought there's a there's a way to do this. There's a way to build a, a food festival that, that does feel more in line with the music festival.
2: Now the infatuation is taking it a step further. It launched its very first food festival in Los Angeles on May twentieth.
4: For us it was just a it was an opportunity to offer both some of our existing partners a different way to activate with our audience and a different way to to reach the audience, but it was also just a great way to bring in some new people and Really, for a lot of the new brand partners and the people that we want to work with in the future, this is like the perfect way to help them understand what the infatuation is and who our audience is. Because, you know, we can sit in a room and show people decks and show them statistics and audience and all that other stuff. But it really doesn't really connect, I don't think, until you see our audience and our community in person and uh, understand, like, why they're so passionate that was what, for us, it's sort of like, you know, a long play where we think that this as a, you know, the festival itself can help us build our business uh, in ways that go beyond the live event because we also have our own, you know, massive built-in distribution network and community that's already there. So, you know, our, we can go to our partners and say, let's build this this festival thing into a bigger package that includes, you know, a lot of the stuff we do on the web or on social or whatever it might be. And and that was a, a good way to, you know, get started. Definitely feel like there's a uh, very sustainable model around it. I think, you know, people are getting more savvy to the fact that you really do have to figure out a way to connect in a meaningful way with people. Uh, and so obviously, like, that's where live events become, you know, certainly part of that equation, right? Because you can actually you know if you're an alcohol brand you can actually watch people put you know your product to their lips and interact with it or whatever it might be and you don't you know that's harder to do when you're just sort of putting content out to the world
3: companies are using festivals to connect with passionate attendees and to spread the word on products and brands but the marketing doesn't end with those in attendance like lucas said earlier Thanks to apps like Instagram and powerful social media influencers, festivals spread their message to a way larger cohort.
1: I mean, to to stay topical, like the Fire Festival, which was just, you know, eight Instagram models used to promote this event because you figure, oh, the best way to sell lots of tickets to a high-priced destination getaway is to get eight models who all have 5 to 15 million followers on Instagram to make it seem like this is the place to be. And sure enough... You have people spending way too much money for what looked like a pretty crappy music festival and then they get there and it's even worse than they ever imagined. Uh, music festivals definitely tap into that influencer class. I mean, if you look actually, so there's some festivals now, there's one weekend, there are two weekends, right? Coachella's one of them, there are a few others. The first weekend is littered with celebrities, social influencers, quote unquote, who get paid to go to brand events like some champagne will have a party at X hotel, and they'll make sure to pay half a dozen influencers to go there uh, to try and drive more people to that. It's not, it doesn't even have to be affiliated with the music festival. It just happens at the same time. There's this economy that forms around a festival.
3: of music festival attendees have turned to social media to follow a live event they were unable to attend in person, according to Nielsen Entertainment. 43% of music festival attendees have posted on social media about the festival while attending. And 43% of music festival attendees have a more favorable view of brands that sponsor live-streamed events. Companies like Live Nation are working hard to take advantage of these channels,
5: well, I think it's we actually have some programs, some great programs around social media. We work with um, Snapchat for um, our stories, which is allowing people to sh- virtually share. You know, there's festivals that we live stream, which is really important from a from that standpoint. We work with with Red Bull and others um, across the festivals too. Um, for people that you know actually can't be there, we work with Twitter on different programs. So that's the stuff that we generate. But really, it's the fan, fan-generated uh, social that really I think it helps to create the. I definitely that that's part and parcel to helping create the demand for festivals. I believe it's that engagement, wanting to be together, wanting to go on a journey together, sharing that ongoing. So I think that's changed. Uh, that's changed dramatically. I mean, traditional advertising um, in terms of radio and print and. things that we would have done many, many years ago to sell a a concert ticket, I don't think come into play um, really much in in this festival world.
3: Festivals have come a long way from Woodstock. They've evolved into a valuable advertising platform for companies.
2: Still, people continue to go to these events for a communal experience. In fact, that's what makes them effective places to advertise. Companies have to look beyond
3: traditional advertising to attract consumers. And here they have a captive millennial audience
2: with money to spend. Those customers might even Instagram their product or booth to their friends and family, amplifying the festival's impact. So next time
3: you pull out your flower crown, neon tank, or metallic bikini and head to a festival, know that you're not just fueling good vibes. You and I are actually feeding into a massive corporate advertising machine.
2: Still, the Insta's probably worth
3: it. That's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening.
2: For more Material World and for other great podcasts like Game Plan, Bloomberg's workplace culture show, find us on Apple Podcasts, Bloomberg.com or wherever you listen to shows like this. For more of our other coverage, you can find us on Twitter.
3: I'm at Jenny M. Kaplan and Lindsay's at L.C. Rupp.
2: You can learn more about Live Nation at Live Nation, Heineken at Heineken and the Infatuation at Infatuation. Read more of Lucas's coverage at Lucas, L-U-C-A-S, underscore Shaw.
3: Material World is produced by Magnus Henriksson and Liz Smith. Alec McCabe is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks.
0: This was great. I loved it. (laughs)